everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey, um, real quick before we get started here, we agreed to a uh, ad swap with our buddies, the uh, Till Death Do Us Part podcast. And uh, if you like us, you probably like them too. So uh, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Their name's Melissa and Daniel. And uh, here's a little something about them. Hello, I'm Melissa. And I'm Daniel. And we are from Till Death Do Us Part podcast. A podcast where I share my interest in true crime with my husband. But I could honestly care less. But here's the kicker. I only tell Daniel cases of seemingly loving and perfect couples. They always say that, don't they? They do. But behind closed doors, these relationships are not at all what they pretend them to be. And yes, we tend to be super judgy about other people's relationships because it makes us feel better about our own. Honestly, who hasn't ever thought of murdering their significant other? I know we we have. Maybe on vacation. A cruise ship, perhaps? What about some nice poison in your coffee? Sounds delicious. Or just a tried and true accident? Carbon dioxide, anyone? Join us every Tuesday as I tell Daniel the story of a relationship that has ended in a horrific fashion, whether that be murder or just attempted murder. If you like dry humor, snarky banter, and listening to an old married couple get on each other's nerves, then you'll love us. So remember, be careful. For marriage is a life sentence. And divorce is always the better option. Well, that was great. That was great. Uh, so that was our first time like swapping an ad. So kinda kind of cool. exciting. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot. Great idea, Melissa. And uh, yeah, we wish them well. And uh, they're, our, they're our little podcast buddies, you know, true crime podcast. We're buddies. in this little thing together. We are. We are just trying to bring these stories and bring all these uh, different you know things to light. So uh, yeah, how's it going this week? Uh, not too shabby this week. I have really nothing going on. Really? Nothing at all? No, oh, we have a new couch coming. Oh, we do. And what else, Allison? Oh, and Cameron got a new bed. Oh, yeah, he sure did. What yeah, else, Allison? We got lots going on. Oh, Jesus. I tell you. Well, it was time. It was. It was. He's, uh, we, I think the last uh, bed Cameron had was from Ikea, and I think it was $89. <laughs> So we really spoiled him. Like, yeah, that on. was ridiculous. It broke. <laughs> yeah. And then he had two mattresses stacked on top of each other. They'd like fall off. It was amazing because there were two like beds. So like you could have a, uh, well, there was single size, right? So there were two beds and it was great for sleepovers. So you could just take them off of each other and then, you know, they just stack on top and it's so nice. And we're yeah. like, holy crap, only 89 bucks. Like even if it lasts us a year, it's great. And I think it lasts probably what? more than that. Two yeah. years, maybe. Yeah. And now he's getting bigger and I think he laid in it and it was just like, just totally great. Yeah. Up. So now yeah. he's getting a new bed and then the new couch I'm pumped for. Yeah. Yeah. You're very excited about that. I am. You did a lot of research. So we've had the same couch for about what? 11 years. 11. Yeah. yeah so we're going to still keep it. We're just going to relocated upstairs yeah, yeah. and uh, so that's exciting i know that's exciting super for exciting that's I've, all that's going on in my world that's it yeah, that's obviously work and and research well you know what we've introduced last week was allison's amazon addiction so i'm just curious if you've had anything from amazon delivered this week. i actually did so well i have not had a single delivery true uh, but last night i realized i needed a new sports bra oh nice. and like biker shorts, running shorts type of deal. Oh. I was walking Reese to school and my shorts had no cell phone pockets. And I said, this is unacceptable. Our dog had ants on her face. I had to like toss my phone to the side. Yeah. It was chaos. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. So did you have these things before? You've, you've purchased these items? Uh, no? The sports bra, yes. Okay. I've, you know, when you lose a lot of weight, everything's loose. Yeah, you lost like 30 pounds, right? 34. 34. So, yeah. Yeah. And now your uh, wedding ring's loose so we can get rid it's of that. Literally, my wedding ring fell off my hand today at work. Damn dangerous very that that would be if i looked down and it was gone i would lose my mind i mean it's just a ring you know yeah i, mean, I know but it's still sad. it'd yeah. be very sad to me yeah yeah but that uh 
yeah what's going on though for you well i did go out to see the nfl draft yesterday with my buddies went to go watch it with them and uh you know i've been tracking my calories and tracking my weight i've been doing really good this week not eating after late so i you know went down to like 252 Went out to the bar, had a couple beers, and this morning weighed 258. So Gained six pounds in 24 hours. <laughs> so I'm hoping it's water weight. I'm crossing my fingers. Did you have a salt lick in front of you that you were just occasionally lapping at? Yes, of course. Like a you, horse? Tell me you don't have a salt lick when you go to a bar? I don't. Okay. Well, it's kind of fun because everybody's just like, like, a little, like a little cat. <laughs> Do horses lick salt licks? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know about horses. I think cows. Okay. Right? I don't know. I can't remember. It's been a long time since I've uh, taken care of cows. I thought you were a farmer. And, yeah. Not anymore. Not oh, since the, in, the incident. You gave it up. Yeah. The, the incident. incident. The yeah. farm incident. Right. The, the accident. Yes, exactly. So we won't uh, talk about Mike's that. Mike's never grown up on a farm. <laughs> no, a farm. I haven't. I haven't. He lived in the suburbs. Yeah, I sure did. <laughs> suburbs of Chicago. So none of yeah. that going on here. Um, but yeah, my Bears, I, I think they're drafting somebody else right now as we speak. But you know what? Um, the You're dedicated. The crime and coffee couple comes first. That's right. Yeah. So we have some housekeeping things to go over over we do we're kind of gonna switch up our um way of doing things just a little bit you guys won't even probably notice we do four regular episodes a month and uh we swap back and forth so two and two but i'm gonna be taking over three-fourths of them (laughs) for multiple reasons because mike's kind of an idiot and oh no uh, mike's not an idiot at all he's just a procrastinator but that's not really the reason um you do a lot of the editing and the background stuff the video editing has become quite a chore yeah so So he's doing a lot on that behind the scenes and so i'm going to take over more of the research and then to try to maybe boost our patreon we are going to start offering two bonus episodes a month Uh if you're a patreon member you will get those two episodes a month for a total of six a month i'm thinking probably the middle subscription yeah, maybe. Yeah. And then um, we'll talk about those details, but yeah. I will be covering those two as well. Yeah. So you're going to get more and more Crime and Coffee couple. You're going to get sick of hearing our voices. Now, those two episodes, the, the bonus episodes are going to be um, shorter. Not a lot of chit chat between us. Just yeah. right down to the story. Right to the point. Yep. So that'd so, be kind of cool. I'm not saying it's going to be 30 minutes or anything. There's just going to be no chit chats. Right. Enough I, I can't bullshit. make any promises. Yeah. yeah. And no. y- you guys are sick of hearing about our lives anyway. Let's so. be honest. Yeah. Everybody fast forwards the first Everyone's going to just pay the money just so they don't have to hear us <laughs> right. just blather on and, and on. I, I can't blame you. And we appreciate it at the same time. <laughs> exactly. So Win-win. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody wins. Um, anything else going on? Yeah. If you want to be part of Allison's Amazon addiction, I'll put the uh, links in the, uh, the show notes. I am very picky about the things that I buy. Yeah. And I do research a lot. I read all the reviews. So if you need a sports bra, go get one. And I already own it. And I know it's comfortable. That's why I asked So So, that's good stuff. Um, Besides that, no, I think think we're ready to go. You think so? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to dive right in here. And real quick before you start this. I always say that, dive right in. That's okay. What's that, Mike? Um, So this, uh, I believe this. You don't know what my topic is per se. Well, we'll we'll just pretend. You did tell me. I mean, I have no idea who this uh, person is. But you did say you got the idea from Instagram, um, people that message us, Mary Kay and Becca. Yes. I believe they're cousins. So thank you, Mary Kay and Becca, for the suggestion. And um, yeah, this is uh, the story that they suggested. I I know the name, but I've never heard of it. So we mentioned this on the episode we did about John List. And the reason why we mentioned this was because John List was discovered through America's Most Wanted. They had an expert recreate his bust and they put it on TV and it looked 
like a dead ringer, and they had to do an age per us bust. So he was caught via America's Most Wanted. Right. So during that episode, I mentioned the host of America's Most Wanted, John Walsh. Mm. And he was doing what he was doing because his son had been murdered. Ah, gotcha. So that is what this story is. So this is the murder of Adam Walsh. Okay. So it's probably pretty well known, I would guess. Oh, exceptionally well known. It like changed the way things were done. Interesting. So I'm going to just get right into it. Um, this story takes place in Hollywood, Florida, which I was not really familiar with. We like, live in Florida. Florida, Fort Lauderdale area, but it's the other coast and farther down the state from where we are. That's where the uh, casino is. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so the story begins in 1981. Um, now Adam himself was born on November 14th, which is a very special day to us because it's our daughter's birthday. That's right, little Reese. Yeah. So he was born November 14th, 1974. He was the first child of John and Reve Walsh. Okay. I thought that was a really interesting name, Reve. Reve, pretty. Mm-hmm. It's very pretty. No, it's R-E-V-E. Hmm, yeah, interesting. very pretty name. Okay. So on Monday, July 27th, 1981, it started just like any typical weekday in the Walsh house. It was summer, so Adam was home from school. He was with his mom. He woke up at 8.30 that morning, and his dad headed out to work around 9 a.m. At 11 a.m., Adam and Reve headed out. They were running some errands. They stopped off at his school, St. Mark's Lutheran School, so that Reve could pay his tuition. And then from there, they headed to the Hollywood Mall, arriving at 12.30 p.m. They parked on the north side of Sears and headed inside. And just a side note, the Hollywood Mall just so happens to be across the street from police headquarters. Okay. That's at this time. The Hollywood Mall no longer exists. Like a lot of malls these days? It's a plaza. It's got Target in it. But the mall itself is not there any longer. Malls were places where we all used to go hang out and have uh, steak and cheese and uh, (laughs) sandwiches. I think uh, Frulati's. Bourbon Uh, chicken. Right. Bourbon chicken. A lot of free bourbon chicken samples. Um, Malls still exist, Mike. Oh, right. They do. Fairly. (laughs) So Adam was dressed in striped in a striped Izod shirt. He wore green shorts and his favorite captain's hat. As Reve and Adam, captain's hat. Yeah, I huh. don't know if it was like a you yeah. Know, like I'm, literally, I'm picturing that white captain's hat with the little anchor in yes, the front. Yes, that's exactly what that's I picture too. That's kind of cool. That's mm-hmm. if you can pull that off, man. That's that's good stuff. I agree. So as Reve and Adam entered Sears, they headed in the direction of the lighting department. Reve had her sights set on a lamp that was on sale. That's why they went to Sears. And I'm sorry, did you say how old Adam is at this time? He is six. Six. Okay. Yes, I didn't actually say that. My bad. So um, Reve and Adam, they happened to walk past a an Atari, which do you remember Atari? Oh, uh, yeah. That's where yes. I started my video game love is Atari. My cousin had an Atari, um, but they had like a little kiosk set up, kind of like they do in stores to this day where you can test out the game and the so system. the kid can fall in love with it and then and be say, like mom i want this <laughs> exactly so that was set up other kids were playing and adam asked reve if he could stay and watch while she did her shopping and she said i'm going to be right here in the lamp department and adam replied okay mommy i know where that is reve had left adam in the toy department on previous occasions kids don't want to go and walk through the lighting department right so she left him to look in the toy department often before. Oh, I used to do crap like that all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. I know, you know, back then in the 80s, things were very different than they are now. Six is young, though. Six but is six, pretty young. It's young. Um, but she was in the next department. She, right. was, she was right there in the next department. Okay. Um, Adam had never left the area in the past to look for his mom on previous occasions. And they had shopped there often. He was very familiar with the store. He knew where the toy department was. He knew where the lighting department was. He knew his way around the store. 
So finding that the lamp that she had planned to buy was out of stock, Reve headed back towards Adam about 10 minutes later is how much they were separated. When she arrived at the video game kiosk, nobody was there. So there had been probably, you know, a handful of boys there when she walked away from Adam. Nobody's in sight at this point. She's like, where the hell is everybody? Yeah. So um, Reve searched the entire department thinking maybe he lost his interest in the Atari game and wanted to look at the toys. He wasn't in the toy department. She began to look in other adjacent departments thinking maybe he walked off. Well, then you start freaking out. It's like, okay, you didn't find him in the first place. Okay, he's probably by the toys. And it's like, oh, no, something's gone wrong Exactly. So from there, she went to the house phone to ask that Adam be paged to the toy department. Adam's was first paged at 1225 p.m. I said they arrived at the at Sears around 12:30. It was somewhere around the 12:30 vicinity that they arrived. There were some varying times. Of course, you're not looking at the watch when you walk into a store being like it happened at this time. Sure. We're all just trying to remember as best we can. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me, covid's still sticking around. Um so the first page was 12.25 p.m. or somewhere in that nature, and can, he continued to be paged with no response until about 1.30 p.m., so approximately an hour she was having him overhead paged. And she's just hoping beyond hope that he comes around the corner and Absolutely. like, hey, mom, there you are. And like you feel the panic bubbling up, and you're just praying that you see his face around the corner. Yep. So, Reve approached multiple Sears employees asking if they had seen Adam while she showed a photo of him that she had in her purse. Shortly after, Reve just happened to bump into her mother-in-law, Jean Walsh, who just was coincidentally shopping at Sears that day. Oh, wow. So, she said to her, oh, my goodness, thank goodness I saw you. Is Adam with you? And her mother-in-law was like, no, I don't have Adam. No. Right. So, initially, like I said, she thought she was, so she held out hope. Oh, goodness, maybe he's with her. No, wasn't the case. So, basically, at that point, she decided to call the Hollywood Police Department. It was about 1.55 p.m. to report Adam. Adam missing. So it came to light at some point in this investigation, possibly that day, I'm not entirely sure when, that um, there was an incident that day at the Atari video game kiosk. Which is why there was no kids there, because usually it'd be freaking packed. Yes. Like, I mean, that was the hot thing then. So around the time that Reve would have left Adam at the kiosk, there were about four kids playing and watching. Obviously, they can't all play. The security guard that was on staff that morning was 17-year-old. I don't have her name, but she was only 17 herself. She was a child herself. There was an altercation fighting amongst the the controller. I want to play. You know, I yeah, want to play. It's my turn. To the point that one of the kids actually, I believe, smacked or punched the other kid. Right, maybe, so, maybe took the joystick and jammed it in the other one's eye. Right in the eyeball. Yeah. Joysticks were, you know, big things. They used to hold them by the paddle and kind of back and forth. Yes. Totally different than these days. I used to play Cubert. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, So <laughs> I guess the one child smacked the other uh, child over the video. And those things were heavy. Like if they, oh, okay. Not, Not with the controller with his hands. Got it. So the security guard approached the boys and asked all four to leave the store. And again, it's a 17-year-old. I don't know that she verified, you know, which boy was with what parent. Are they with somebody? I don't think that was verified. And a six-year-old hears leaves a store, and then it's from a you yes. know, somebody who's a higher-ranking person, you know, an authority figure. I guess they listen, you know, if they're something kid that listens to authority figures. Right. And that's exactly what Reve thought, that yeah. Adam would have listened and literally walked out of the store. Gosh. Yes. So um, 
whatchamacallit, um, Adam was part of that group. But the at the time that this the police asked the security guard, showed the picture, was this boy part of the group that you sent out? She said no. Later in the investigation and interviews, she then changed her mind and said she was 85% sure that Adam was part of the group that left. She probably didn't want to get in trouble for sending out such a young kid and yeah. realize that. And the, but then realize this kid's in trouble. Like we need to f- know if he was there. We need to pinpoint at what point he's missing. Right. Exactly. And then also the motive. Like maybe he ran away or whatever. It's like, no, you told him to leave. And right. we need to know that you're not in more trouble. Maybe you are whatever, but right. we need to find out what happened. Exactly. So then detectives asked that anyone with any information, please contact the Hollywood Police Department. So a few days later on Thursday, July 30th, it was three days later, a woman contacted the police department and said that her 10-year-old son, Timothy, had seen something suspicious on the day that Adam went missing. Under hypnosis, Timothy recalled seeing a six-foot-tall white male with dark brown curly hair loitering in the toy department of the Sears where the boy happened to be shopping with his grandmother. And curly hair was very in now because men had perms at this time. <laughs> That's true. Like Your father dad. included. My dad had a perm, and I thought every man had a perm all the time. I'm my like, dad huh. did not have a perm. And he just had curly hair all the time. <laughs> not ever. That's hilarious that your dad permed his hair. I thought so, too. So, Timothy recalls seeing that the boy left Sears and the man followed him. Then I believe at this point he would have gone and left with his grandmother so that he saw what was happening outside. He said that the man ran to a shiny navy blue blue Ford van with tinted windows, sport wheels, a black bumper, and a chrome ladder at the back of the van. So when Timothy and his grandma went to their car, he saw two white men wearing stocking masks in the van, which pulled near the boy. He said that the sliding door opened and a hand motioned the boy, being Adam, to come into the car or van, and the boy was pulled into the van. So then another person corroborated this story. He said that same day, uh, he actually called that same day and said, on the day Adam went missing, between between approximately 12.30 and 1 p.m., he was nearly involved in a traffic incident with a van identical to the one that Timothy had described. The van was being driven by a white man in his 20s with black hair and a thin mustache. He was speeding adjacent to the Hollywood Mall. This man and Timothy met with police artists, and two composite drawings were released to the media, along with a description of the van that they saw. Okay. Nothing really came of this. Oh, man, that's so they were just really trying to get any kind of information. Right. At the all. Hypnosis, just like anything. They're so desperate to willing to try anything. <clears throat> and of course, when the Hollywood police were called to the mall, John Walsh was also called to the mall, Adam's father and Reve's husband. So he came, you know, and, you know, it's like they don't know what to do. I don't know. Out of curiosity, what was John doing at this time? Like, I'll tell you okay. later on. Got it. Um, but so over the next few weeks, John and Rave made several televised and public appeals for Adam's safe return. It became a big national story. Yeah, probably a cute little kid, yes. you know. And, and it was always the same picture. It was Adam in his baseball uniform, you know, the posed holding the bat picture. He was yeah. a six-year-old little boy. I took that same picture. And it's everybody's worst nightmare. And it, everybody can relate to it because we all go to the mall and it, the, like I said, there. in the 80s. <laughs> yep you would often leave. I mean, there were four other boys that were playing at that Atari machine by themselves. Mm -hmm. So everybody could relate to what was happening. Whether you have kids or you have a little brother or or sister. Or a nephew or a niece, whatever. So it was striking a lot of fear with people. 
So it, the case well, there's a won, kid snatcher out there somewhere. Yes. Yeah. And it went very national all across the nation. So John and Revea also offered a $5,000 reward for Adam's safe return. And um, thousands of f- flyers were published and posted with Adam's picture. Sadly, this is where it's it comes to an end. On Monday, August 10th, 1981, at approximately 6.54 p.m., two weeks after Adam went missing, a severed head was discovered by two fishermen floating in a drainage canal in Vero Beach, Florida, about 120 miles from Hollywood, off of mile marker 130 of the Florida Turnpike. Mm-hmm. So devastating. That's crazy, man. Like, uh, you take a kid, you know, I don't... Uh, I Obviously, you're not going to do anything good with them, so... And then the guilt that poor Reve would feel as a mother... 100%. <clears throat> ex- excuse me. just being helpless that you know you did what everybody was doing and it just so happened that it ended in devastation was this their only child at the time yes i would want to like die oh my god they i think they did want to die yeah (laughs) i don't know how you got through that i don't know how you (laughs) put one foot but i'll tell you how they these people are fighters yeah and they made a difference at moving forward that's the that's the way to do it that's if you talk to somebody be like you can't just quit you got to do something for your sweet little son. You, you know? know, make something positive come from this devastating thing that happened in your life. You can save one kid exactly. anywhere. Or, you know, have a mom double think or whatever and, you know, not leave a kid doing the same thing. Then, you know. Right. I'm, and I'm sure this really did change the way that people were in the department stores. I'm sure they weren't. At, I'm sure Adam's case made people like, no, you cannot go to the toy department without me. I'm sure no kid got out of their mom's no. hands any time around this time. I'm sure it didn't. And we were only, what, two at the time? You know, that's probably when they came up with like kid, <clears throat> kid leashes or something like that. And just was like, you were right, tethered kid, to me. Yeah. me. Right. So uh. extensive searches of the area where they had found Adam's head found no other evidence to lead investigators to believe that this is where the murder took place. His body was never located. Never. It had to be in that water somewhere, you would think. No, there was no sign of the rest of his body there. Well, no sign, but, you know, deep water, you can sometimes you just It wasn't deep it. water. Oh, really? I, I don't think so. Well, fishermen, I don't know. But. I don't know, but it, it looks shallow to me from where it, what it looks like now, but obviously this was a long time ago yeah so the next day on the morning of august 11th at indian river county hospital john monahan who's a close friend of the walsh family positively identified the severed head as that of adams and then de- dental records further confirmed that this is 100 adam so it was a very very sad day and that same afternoon dr ronald wright of the broward county medical examiner's office conducted an exam of the remains in fort lauderdale because of the presence of, and I'm sorry to be descriptive here, but it, it is what it is, of liquefied brain matter, it was concluded that the time of death was likely 10 or more days prior to the discovery of the remains on August 10th, which was consistent with the timing of Adam's abduction. Okay. So it's the, it was to conclude, was he held somewhere? Right. It was pretty quick. But it was they concluded that it was probably pretty quick. Within days. If yeah, that, if not that day. Immediately, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So Dr. Wright's exam also found five five distinct blows from a sharp-bladed instrument and at least five quarter-inch-long lacerations to the back, neck, and rear portion of the skull. Who does this to a child? To anybody, much less a child. Like, <laughs> a that's child. insane. It's disgusting, despicable, and insane. And I want to hear if they know who this is or if he knew who this person was. It's like just a random kid, and you're going to, like, hack him up? Like, right? that's... 
Ah, you got the worst thing you could ever imagine. This is a person you just got to put into like a meat grinder or something like you're useless to society. On August 12th, John and Rave offered a $100,000 reward for any information that could help lead to an arrest. Yeah. They wanted to catch this guy. Who did this to their baby? They're going to pay or you know, be brought to justice. <clears throat> yeah, and everyone helped support them to get this money. On August 15th, they had to hold an empty casket funeral for Adam. No remains. They couldn't have the head because no, it was an investigation. That's... Even just to bury a piece of him, they couldn't. Yeah. <clears throat> On October 11th, this is a big one, 1983, so this is about two years and some change later, a 36-year-old man named Otis, oh, I, I keep wanting to call him O'Toole. I do not know why there is something in my brain that wants to say O'Toole, but it's not. It's Otis Toole. He was from Jacksonville, Florida. He was incarcerated at the Duval County, Florida jail, pending charges for an arson homicide. The previous day, a detective from the Brevard County Sheriff's Department called Hollywood detectives to inform them that Toole claimed that he killed someone in Broward County and wanted to discuss it with police. Otis was raised by an abusive and controlling single mother after his alcoholic father abandoned him and his four sisters. He said that his mother dressed him in girls' clothing and called him Susan. Susan? Susan. Okay. Okay. All righty. She wanted a Susan. Apparently so. And that he was molested by a family member. He was sexually abused by a neighbor. Basically had a hellish life. His grandmother worshipped Satan. She called him the devil's child. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't sounds... that nice? That gram- Granny. Granny called him the devil's child. Yeah. Go, mm-hmm. go wear your dress that mom left out for you, Susan. Susan. Oh. You devil's child. So he ran away from home. He slept in abandoned buildings. He was sexually aroused by starting fires. Hence, at the time, he was in jail for starting a fire that ultimately killed somebody. Um, He was considered developmentally disabled at a young age. And when you hear interviews of him, he sounds extremely like uneducated. You know what I'm thinking of is like to kill kill a mockingbird. Oh, yeah. He was very Southern. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. He made money working as a male prostitute. And I'm not saying anything bad about Southern people by any means. So please, no, I'm sorry. Don't the, take me to the kill a mockingbird. But it yeah. was like very, you could tell he had a learning disability. Yeah. Um, so he said that his first murder happened when he was 15 years old. He killed a traveling salesman who wanted to perform sexually for him. He said he ran the man over with his own car, with the man's car. Mm-hmm. So Toole told police that he and Henry Lee Lucas abducted a 6- to 10-year-old boy from a Sears Mall in the Fort Lauderdale area years prior and killed him. Hollywood detectives flew to Jacksonville in order to interview Toole. Lucas was a serial killer who was convicted of killing his mother at some point in 1960 and two others in 1983. After his conviction, he confessed to killing around 600 people. That might not be true. Right. But regardless, <laughs> people at this point, he's considered the most pro- pro- prolific serial killer in history. Wow. Um, he did die. He died of congestive heart failure in 2001 in prison. So on October 19th, 1983... Tool issued a detailed statement containing um, some inconsistencies. He then said that the child was about seven to ten years old. But if you don't have kids, 
you yeah. don't really know. Right. Until we a, had kids, I didn't know. Same with me. I mean, I still can kind of like, what was that kid like eight? And they're like, you're like, yeah, it's probably four. I can look at a child and pretty much hit the nail on the head in you terms can. of how old they are. Only because I have a, I have two children. Right. I do too. But <laughs> yeah, I guess it doesn't work at the same, both ways. <laughs> well, it's different. I'm a mom. Yeah. I'm, I'm the mom. Sure are. So he, again, he said that the child was about seven to 10 years old. He had blonde curly hair and wore blue jeans, a blue shirt and sneakers. Again, Adam, on the other hand, he was six. He had sandy brown hair and he was wearing green shorts, a red and white stripe IZOD pullover shirts and a yellow, um, yellow rubber flip flops. So kind of a distinctive outfit. But again, it was a couple years later. So Tool said that he and Lucas pulled the child into the car cut off the child's head with a bayonet and performed heads or sex acts on it. That's what Tool said. Of course. Yeah. So, however, it was later quickly found that Lucas was in a Maryland state jail on the date that Adam went missing. Ah. So immediately that was a lie. Lucas there's, was not involved. There's so much of this that people just have these fantasies that they want to be part of whatever mm-hmm. this was. Yeah, I mean, he's already done probably so many bad things. He's like, yeah, I did that too. And mm-hmm. then get the attention yeah. on them and get the cameras and whatever. That's and that sickening. does happen to a lot of convicted people. They take the responsibility so that they get notoriety. Right. They figure, I'm already in jail, so what difference does it make? May yeah. as well take credit. They want to be remembered. So, um, Again, Lucas was in jail. He was arrested the 22nd. Adam was abducted the 27th. Mm-hmm. And then he wasn't released until October at that point. So he was definitely Impossible. not involved. Yeah. So the inconsistency in Tool's story caused detectives to question the legitimacy. Legitimacy. Is he lying? Um, and the story continued to change over the coming years. After Tool was told that it was impossible that Lucas took part in the abduction and murder, he changed his story and said that he lied about Lucas's involvement for revenge. Apparently, they had been involved in a relationship together. So he said, well, he did me wrong. So this is why I tried to pin it on him. <laughs> you should have looked in to see if he was in jail. <laughs> Again, first. he has a learning Dumbass, disability. Right. One plus one is not two in this man's mind. Right. So, Tool's cellmates were questioned. One said that Tool told him of his killings, though none involved children. Another said the same, that none of his stories involved Adam Walsh specifically. On October 21st, 1983, detectives flew Tool to, the, to Hollywood, Florida, in order for him to identify the location of the abduction in the area off of the t- turnpike where he claimed to have disposed of Adam's head. Yeah, just to see. Be like, okay, yeah, where did you dump him? So initially, they took him to the Broward Mall rather than the Hollywood Mall to see, is he going to say, this isn't the right place? Yep. So when they did that, he said it looked familiar, though he couldn't be sure if it was the cracked one. Later that day, after... So then they did. From there, they took him to the Hollywood Mall. And he said, okay, wait, I got this wrong. So they took him to the incorrect mall, which was Broward. He told them that it wasn't the correct mall. So he was right. Oh, okay. They drove him from Broward Mall to the Hollywood Mall. He said it looked familiar, but he wasn't sure. Okay. So later that day, after he did say, he changed his mind. He said, yep, this is it. This is the correct mall. He led detectives to the turnpike entrance to mile marker 126, where he claimed to have dismembered Adam and buried his remains. The men that found Adam was off of mile marker 130, so about four miles difference. So he said that off of mile marker 126 is where he dismembered Adam and buried his remains. They did an absolutely extensive extensive search of this area. They found nothing. However, Otis is trying to kind of like 
discombobulate saying, well, I was extremely intoxicated during the abduction and the murder and the burial, so I could be wrong. And you'll see he died of alcohol-related causes. Uh So it's probably likely that if he did do this, he probably was intoxicated. Yeah, and fuzzy memory and all that stuff. Exactly. So on October 26th, Tool claimed that he was uncertain that he actually did murder Adam and stated that he lied and created the whole story. Twelve minutes later, he changed his story and said he did abduct and murder Adam. He later said that he took Adam's body to his mother's backyard in Jacksonville. He placed it in a gutted refrigerator, doused it in gasoline, and burned it. He said he then shoveled out the remains, wrapped them in a blanket, and put them in a dump in Jacksonville. He said he used a machete to sever Adam's head. When Tool's car, which was a 1971 black and white Cadillac, was tested in 1983, it did test positive for blood that he left on the front and rear floorboards. Positive for blood, meaning that there's blood, not necessarily Adams. Not necessarily Adams, and not necessarily even a human's, per se. Sure. So a steak fell on the floor? It was exact locations of where he said he placed Adam's severed head is where they did find the blood. So, but DNA at the time wasn't available, so they couldn't tell if it was from Mm. Adam. I'm going to touch briefly touch on this and go more into it in the future in in a moment. But in 1995, when they tried to do follow up DNA, they no longer could find the samples from the car. Gone. Whoa. Just gone. Gone. Lost (laughs) them. Whoops. Nice job, cops. We lost them. So, Tool then in this time took it upon himself to write to the Walsh family and demand $5,000 in exchange for telling them where the rest of Adam, Adam's body was. Yeah. Um, in luck. a Nightline interview, John Walsh said that when he read this letter that Tool had written, he had to run to the bathroom and throw up. And then he said, This son of a bitch, we have to figure out a way for him to tell us what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to give you $5,000, you sicko. I don't believe this guy at all. So the Walshes, in the meantime, are feeling like the police didn't take the missing persons case very seriously and that they botched the investigation. Mm. So <clears throat> obviously, without having that DNA that's supposed to be available, I mean, how do you just like lose it? Like, like where did it go? <laughs> yeah. You just you can't re- this misplace is, stuff like and that. Especially like a high profile case like this. Like mm-hmm. I, I get if it's like a burglary from three years ago and you get rid of the stuff. But like, you know, unsolved mysteries that are you know, bad murders. You hang on to this stuff. Exactly. So there was a private investigator and a retired police detective named Joe Matthews who had been involved in Adam's case from the beginning. He was hired by the Hollywood Police Department in order to do polygraph testing. Of course, the family themselves had to undergo polygraph testing to be sure that they were ruled out, which, of course, they were. Um, Many years later, Joe and John Walsh just happened to cross paths At the request of John and Revae, and with the approval of the Hollywood Police Department, Joe did a case file analysis and a cold case investigation of the kidnapping and murder of Adam. It took two years and nine months to do. So after 25 years, key evidence was discovered that had been overlooked that Mm. Joe happened to find. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's more evidence that the... Uh, investigation was botched exactly so i forgot to mention it but um you know joe was hired to do the polygraph testing but he was quickly let go at the time because he was questioning the methods that the police were using okay so he was on the case and then off the case they're like uh you we're gonna say how it's done around here buddy Mm -hmm. yeah 
So the evidence that Joe found on Tool was strong, and this is his, this is his perspective. Mm-hmm. When I'm saying it was strong, this is his perspective. Of course. And it made him believe that Otis Tool was solely responsible for the kidnapping and murder. Number one, Otis often admitted to family, friends, and the police that he was responsible for Adam's murder. There was also um, something that when he died, he told his niece or something that sh- that he did do it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he would tell anybody. He's trying course. to convince people at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, personally, I think he could. He's a piece of shit criminal. Despite the fact that he did recant his story, Joe feels that this can be very common after a confession. After he recanted, Tool said that he didn't mean to and gave details that only the murderer would know. And they were accurate? <clears throat> yeah, but then I'll give like a rebuttal on that, too. Okay. Two... There was also a witness that saw Tool and his unique car on the scene of the crime the day it happened. Somebody did come forward and say, I saw a black Cadillac with a white top. Mm. So it's possible that he actually was there the day that Adam went missing because his car was unique and it wasn't like it just blended in. Right. So that's that put him at the scene, if that's accurate. Um, there was a lot of blood evidence in Tool's car and... Like I said, sadly, the police lost it and were they were unable to do the distinct DNA testing to actually confirm if, if it was Adam's blood. But strongest of all, after combing through the case file, Joe found a roll of undeveloped film that had been taken of Otis's car. Okay. So he had it processed and he saw that there was blood on the floorboard of where Otis had said... You know, and they they confirm that too. But I guess luminol had been used, and the way that it lit up, it was the outline of an actual face. Whoa. Yes. Wow. So he showed the picture. So here's what Joe said. He said, you can actually see his image. It's as clear as the Shroud of Turin. Veronica's veil. It's clear. Shroud of Turin. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. (laughs) It's like, am I the only one? It's not so clear clear to me. Something clear. But so he showed the picture to the Walshes and Reve felt that this was a picture of Adam. Wow. Really? Yes. And she thought, this is the piece of evidence that ties everything together for me. And I can go to my grave knowing that not only did I do everything I could do, but I found answers in that photo. Wow. So the photo that was never developed was like kind of what sealed the deal for them. Well, why didn't they put all that luminol? What's it called? Luminol? Well, that is what they used. Why would they put that all over his car anyways? They did. And they took pictures. And that's the pictures that Joe had developed. And they actually saw it. Oh, wow. Years later when Joe re-investigated. So they never showed the family the pictures. They never developed the pictures. Oh, my God. It was a roll of undeveloped film that Joe found. I thought this was tools like pictures. No, no. It was part of the investigation with the Hollywood police. Okay. So Joe actually had it developed and could see. Hey, you dumbasses. Those pictures you took? Let's develop them. We want to see them. <laughs> yeah, so other people can look yeah. and talk about it. Oh, my God. So um, anyway, Tool ended up dying in prison on September 15th, 1996. He died of cirrhosis of the liver while he was serving five life sentences. He was never pinned to the murder of Adam Walsh while he was alive. Right. So then another side twist on July 30th, 1991, 10 years after Adam was abducted and murdered, 
Hollywood detectives discovered that Jeffrey Dahmer was in the Hollywood area at the time that Adam was abducted and murdered. Wow. A man recalled seeing someone that looked like Jeffrey Dahmer and saw a physical struggle with he and a boy. Dahmer denied any involvement, saying that had he been involved, he would admit it because he would welcome the death penalty as any alternative to rotting in prison. And people believed that. Yeah. He actually was in that area. And he was also very forward with everything he did. Yes, he was. And um, he was relying on public transportation. He did not have a car in the area. Yeah. Adam was taken with a car. Mm Mm-hmm. So that also kind of put the kibosh on that idea. Yeah. So it's kind of like my story, like Ted Kaczynski might be part of this. It's like, yeah, I don't think so. So it's really that's been thrown away. Right. Others have argued that Tool may not have been the murderer. So the FDLE, and I forgot to write down what that means. My apologies. Florida Department of Law Enforcement. Thank you so much. See, you're so smart. Sometimes. Um, they said that an insufficient amount of blood was found in Tool's car to test for DNA. So there's no proof that the head of that Matthew sees is Adams. Okay. So they don't believe that it's necessarily true. Mm-hmm. They said that the luminol outline could be someone else's head, given that Tool confessed, he said, to more than 100 murders. And it's like not scientific. You know, that's just like, a pr- it could be a, yeah. a hopeful mother just like, of yes, course. that's him. And, and if that's what she needs, God bless her. Let her Absolutely. have that. And the same with the father and everything. Just let it go ahead. But uh, yeah, it's not decidedly solved no it's not 100 percent proved by science right it's an opinion right so additionally fdle separately tested hairs that were found in tool's car and compared them to hair samples taken from adam and they did not match mm. matthews also writes that tool told police crime scene details that only the killer could have known But that wasn't the opinion of the Hollywood detectives who actually interviewed him. Transcripts of those interviews showed that everything Tool, quote unquote, knew came from what those detectives had told or shown him. Ah, which was like guided, which is a mistake also, because you want to have him come in blindly and you tell us what happened. Right. Because otherwise he's just going to repeat what he heard. Right. And then sound like he was there. Exactly. So it was basically maybe that in he was prompted in hopes that it would prompt him to recall something new or true in the case. Because again, he said he was intoxicated. It had been multiple years. So I think they were kind of feeding him things to kind of spur his memory. Yeah. And are the the meantime, are the Hollywood detectives trying to cover their asses too, because they didn't develop this film. That was like the big, you know, right hair. I don't know whatever the hell the smoking gun, I guess, Mm -hmm. but none of this stuff's really definitive. So basically, there's thoughts that tool never gave them anything valuable that could be confirmed that blows at the time that adam went missing there were no amber alert systems in place there was no missing children on milk cartons there was no national center for missing and exploited children before adam's abduction and murder john was a partner in a hotel management company Ah, that was my question from earlier in hollywood florida Afterwards, he quit his job, and I think really that kind of just went to the wayside from the stress and the grief and just trying. Well, because you got to put on a happy face in front of people, be like, "Hey, welcome to the blah 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 resort." And right. it's like my son's dead, and right. I'm trying to like smile in front of your happy asses. So his focus went in in Adam's direction, and act- afterwards he became heavily active in human and victims' right advocacy. Just four days after Adam's funeral on August 19th, 1981, the Adam Walsh Outreach Center for Missing and uh, Missing Children was established. 
On October 6, John and Revae testified before Congress on behalf of the Missing Children's Act, which was passed one year later and signed by President Reagan on October 12, 1982. The law mandates the creation of a national clearinghouse of computerized information to aid parents of missing children. Good. On July 27, 2006, 25 years after Adam went missing, President George W. Bush signed the Adam Walsh Child Protection and Safety Act into law, which created a national database of convicted child sex offenders, increased federal penalties for crimes against children, and also provided funding for the training of law enforcement to fight crimes involving the sexual exploitation of children via the internet. Mm -hmm. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has assisted law enforcement in the recovery of more than 348,000 missing children and helped with the training of more than 379,000 law enforcement, criminal, juvenile justice, and healthcare professionals, according to their website. So they basically get a bunch of data together in order to help other departments find out like some of the similarities in these cases so they can help you know pinpoint what you know these these perpetrators are exactly okay so despite the fact that john walsh had no acting experience fox network contacted him to host america's most wanted it consisted of 771 episodes that aired between two, um, 1988 and 2013 what a nice like what a good pickup because you uh-huh. can tell he's not an actor like it's just something about him. He seems like a regular dude, you know, and it's just like... Well, not only that, but the fire he has in him yeah. to get these guys right. that did these horrible things because he personally suffered from an unthinkable loss. Yeah. I mean, who, him, who better to help find, you know, these monsters? Nobody. I think that's fantastic. Nice Agreed. job. Nice job, whoever hired him for that role. And he did, totally. He, 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 it out he, of the park. he killed it. I yeah. mean, he nailed it. According to a report, it's responsible. America's Most Wanted is responsible for the capture of nearly 1,200 fugitives. Awesome. I mean, again, John List. He's yeah. a perfect example of one that he wiped out his whole family and went on to get remarried and live scot-free. Well, he was found thanks Good. to this. Awesome. So Walsh said that despite his involvement in America's Most Wanted, he was thankful to be in a position to help those who have such a little voice or recourse to do anything. IMDB reports that John Walsh also appeared and produced In Pursuit with John Walsh, America's Most Wanted, America Fights Back, and The Hunt with John Walsh. So he went on to different spins. Yeah, that's cool. Following Adam's death, John and Revae had three more children, Megan, Callahan, and Hayden. They currently live in Washington, D.C. In 2021, last year, John and Revae celebrated 51 years of marriage. According to John Walsh, he was talking in an interview. He said that um, in the case of families where they've lost a child to murder, more than 90% of marriages end in divorce. Mm-hmm. I guess they had been close to that. In 2002, Revae did file for divorce. And John admits that he got wrapped up in the whole America's Most Wanted thing. Wasn't he was gone a lot. Sure. You know, sometimes we just need that kick in the pants to refocus our and prioritize what's I can't believe important. they came back. That's pretty rare. Yep. So the couple sought therapy, they focused on the relationship, and they pulled it back together. And then the investigator, Joe Matthews, he ended up co-writing the book, Bringing Home Adam, The Abduction That Changed America. Yeah. So that was a book that's available. It's actually rated very well on Amazon. Hmm. So if you wanted to read that for more details on the case. From his perspective and what he saw. And yeah, I think that'd probably be interesting. And I'm so sorry, I completely skipped over a very important part. 
Um, on December 16th, 2008, I got to find my, my spot here. Um, they basically, John Walsh and his wife, Reve, went to the Hollywood Police Department and they declared, they closed the case and declared that Otis O'Toole, or Otis Toole was the murderer. Is that kind of like declaring bankruptcy, walking in there and be like, I declare bankruptcy. <clears throat> like that, you can't, can you, you can't close the case if you're not a police the, person, the, right? You no, know, it was the Hollywood police. Yeah, they were there. But, and oh, the, it was like a, like a news It was conference? a news conference oh, God, with the police. I thought John. They, here's what I pictured. No, you know, John and his wife, what was her name? Uh, Renee. Re- Reve. 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 John mm-hmm. and Reve. I picture them walking into the, the police station being like, this case is closed, everybody. We're done here. No, no. And then no. they walked out. So. so Tuesday, December 16th, 2008. I don't know how I gleaned over this. My apologies. 27 years after Adam's murder, John and Reve joined police officers to make the announcement that the murder had been solved and the case was officially closed. The murderer was declared to be Otis Tool more than 12 years after he died in prison. Well, good for the police. I don't necess- I don't think that You know, and at least it gives closed, John and Reve closure. Right. They feel that this is the person who took their child, who murdered their child. That's that's all that matters. And that's all that matters and, you know, they can move forward and help to find 1200 other people yeah, absolutely you know, so, and, and then i guess uh, john's son also worked with him on some of the shows too that's cool and they really like feel like they know their brother For the brother they never met it, that they never met he was gone before they were born but they do feel like they know their brother because their parents still celebrate him and Good. talk about him and keep his memory alive yeah. in the family which i think is really important yeah so nice. that's the case of the murder of adam walsh now one thing to be said uh oddest tool obviously when through a lot of really horrible things in yeah, his life um, of course it, at the same time that doesn't mean that you can do you know no. it, it, the reason he did those things is probably because a lot of horrible things and that's going to happen with I, I think a lot of these stories they had probably a horrible upbringing of course and a lot of abuse and it doesn't give you the right to murder people correct so you, you know you just can't do that he's still a useless human being yeah but. a horrible horrible human being yeah not his fault necessarily but you know, but facts still facts. it is what it is yeah it's a very sad story but that's the that is the story wow well thanks for bringing that absolutely appreciate it. yeah watch those uh kids and stuff man it's like you don't want to be too scared and never let your kids like you know what dory says in the and finding, like, nemo. finding nemo well you never want anything like, he goes ne- i just don't want anything to happen to him well if you never let anything happen to him then nothing will ever happen to him you know yeah, like it's a fine kid, line yeah yeah letting your kids and stuff out and letting them you know hurt themselves sometimes safely hurt themselves it's There's, scary yeah I, I i tend to be more on the side of like overly cautious and you tend to be like you know we gotta let them spread their wings a little bit well, but it's it's really scary and like we let our son and his friends when they have sleepovers go walk to the park which is kind of far like a mile away yeah it's about a mile i'd say and you pass a couple of like weird places there's some guys that are like homeless <laughs> we live in a really nice area there's no home. oh that one guy that walks along the streets yeah with the beers oh, yeah. in his hand all the time oh he's so sweet though he sleeps behind but, like trees and stuff and yeah. it's like it's like one dude but at the same time and then we get a report that there was like a kid that was you know possibly attempted attempted kidnapping and luckily, that story was false. The kid made it up, I guess, for some reason. It was or a fourteen-year-old that just lied that they were uh, tried to be kidnapped. Yeah, hopefully that person's getting the attention that they 
so desperately want. Yes. But, um, you know, it's one of those things that pop in your head like, shit, I let my kid walk to the park. And now this person was almost nabbed into a car. Yeah. 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 It's, it's scary. scary. It's, the world could be a scary place and it's hard to let the strings of the kite out as they get older. It's, yeah. it's very scary. Yeah. So, but, well, thanks for bringing that story. That was yep, very important. You're welcome. And then until next time. Um, thank you for our Patreons to, yes. for uh, your, your donations. If you'd like to join them up too and come on over, go to the, our uh, show notes. You can click the link for Patreon, a couple different uh, um, you know, donation levels. Yep. Colleen and Lily, we appreciate you. And, and then uh, officially Wednesday, the May 3rd, we'll start releasing the bonus episodes twice okay. a month. I'm excited. Yep. Cool. Sounds good. We're doing it. Yeah. All anyway, right. until next time. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye.